You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Yelton, we have a podcast. Diving, diving deep. deep. Diving deep into all things Texas. Both on and off the field. Here's Sean Pendergast and Pro Football Hall of Famer, the General, Sean McClain. Welcome. Welcome. So you Hey, everybody. It is the Utopia Football Podcast. We are heading into week 17 of the regular season. The Texans on a, uh, a modest one-game winning streak against the uh, Tennessee Titans from this past weekend. Uh, we will look ahead to the Jags. We will do a little for real or for gazy. Most of all, we will dig into the news that broke earlier this week on the retirement of Texan legend and future Hall of Famer J.J. Watt. I'm Sean Pendergast, one half of Payne and Pendergast Mornings on Sports Radio 610, joined as always by my good friend, the Hall of Famer, and our senior Texans columnist at SportsRadio610.com and GallerySports.com, John McClain. John, what was your reaction when you saw the news yesterday? I know you were you were on the air finishing up your show. You were subbing for me and Seth. You and Sean Bajani were, and I know you were talking about J.J. on the show. What was your reaction when you saw the news about him hanging it up after the season's over. Well, I talked to Sean about the Texans and reach out to him, see if he wanted to play his last couple of years with the Texans, come home to Houston. And I sent him a text telling him what we were talking about. <laughs> and then I didn't get a reply. And as soon as we finished and Brandon Scott and Brett Dolan were coming in and somebody sent me the text and I'm looking at it. And when he announced that, I sent him back, thing and i think i said never mind <laughs> and uh we exchanged a couple of texts yesterday i could imagine how much he was getting bombarded by people not yeah. just all over the country but he had friends all over the world because he traveled quite quite a bit but i was surprised because he's healthy he has nine and a half sacks with two games left his that last two games have been his best this season and uh i thought he played just 33 if you see defensive linemen playing till they're 35 or six and, but I can understand him wanting to go out on top and not with the Cardinals, of course, but personally, he's got a son, Koa. Uh, I'm interested to see if his wife, Kalia continues to play soccer. If she retires, they've got a great home in Arizona. They love it out there. You know, his, the world is his oyster. He can take a year off or he can, jump back in. I know all the networks would be reaching out to try to hire him as a studio analyst. And the one that should try the hardest to me is YouTube, which is putting 2.5 billion into getting the Sunday ticket. And, and every time I look at Fox, I see Terry Bradshaw and Jimmy Johnson and the youngest is Michael Strahan. And um, and then CBS's pregame show. I'm thinking at some point they might want to get a little younger. And I'm not talking about with Tom Brady when he goes to Fox because, you know, he's, let's see, 33, 14, he's 12 years older than Watt. Yeah. It just seems like Watt, not just for who he is, and he's a great talker, but the fact he is younger. and Everybody wants younger viewers and listeners, and maybe he would help Bring, bring those to whatever platform they had of him, but I could certainly see him as a studio analyst doing a tremendous job. Okay, that's what I was going to ask you, John. I mean, he's going to get plenty of offers to do TV. A lot of guys do when they're that caliber of player. Not not all of them wind up being good. Why do you think J.J. would be good at TV? Because he's very smart, 
and he knows situations. He knows how to read a room. He was very careful when he when he spoke to us for 10 years, but he was, what came out of his mouth to me was great. It was informative. And sometimes it was entertaining. Sometimes it was most entertaining when they got beat and he was so upset. He was a man of few words. A lot of words were spoken by just his actions. And uh, I think that he'll be like, say, Troy Aikman. When Troy Aikman and Tony Romo, when they took jobs with the network, all the media that covered them said, these guys are going to be terrible. We've got nothing but pablum for them for their careers. And then they get on TV when they're no, no, they're not going to play again, and they're really good. And I think Watt, who's very analytical and is informative, and I think that he would just be tremendous uh, analyzing NFL games, players, and coaches. Would you, as a consumer – as a viewer, would you rather see J.J. Watt in a studio setting or doing color analysis on actual games? Studio setting, because I don't think he'd want to work as hard as it takes to be a play-by-play guy I mean, or a color analyst on a week, because then, you know, you got to go on the road every week. You've got to go to the city early. you got to meet with people. And uh, then you got to do your homework all week and have meetings on Zoom, where if you're a studio guy, you just go to the studio day before, and you all those shows are rehearsed. The public thinks they just walk out there and start talking. Almost every line is written for them by writers, and uh, they practiced it. And when I see them, they do most do a great job. I used to think Chris Berman and Tom Jackson, knowing they had rehearsed, did a great job of making it look like it was spontaneous and. And I think J.J. would fit right in with the studio. I think Ryan Fitzpatrick is the best guy on uh, Amazon's show. And I could certainly, if Jeff Bezos wanted J.J. Watt for once a week, he could pay him anything it took. And I don't know if Fox would do it. They're going to pay Brady $37.5 million whenever he retires. But I think J.J. can pick what he wants to do. Oh, he J.J., they should just get rid of Tony Gonzalez and plug J.J. Watt in right there. Yeah, well, they can't is... get rid of Tony Gonzalez. Why? Tony, Tony Gonzalez has a child with Jeff Bezos' girlfriend, what? Uh, Rosalind Sanchez. Yeah, Google it. That's been out there for a long time. It's Je- and Tony they're really Gonzalez good friends. And, Tony Gonzalez and Jeff Bezos are Eskimo brothers? And they're really good friends. Okay. I did not know that. Yeah, um, I heard about it, and I told my wife. She said I'd been out there for a couple of years. Oh yeah, yeah. Carol's plugged into the uh, the pop culture news cycle way more than we are. Um, so a lot to a lot to still unpack here with JJ John. Um, it sounds like you think TV could be in his future. Certainly, offers will be. What is his What is his legacy here? It's it's probably the most multi layered legacy maybe of any athlete in the last twenty years. I was asked by a TV show. Uh, on Tuesday about the Mount Rushmore of Houston athletes. And, you know, there's been many. Mm-hmm. And I saw right off the bat, you have Earl Campbell, Nolan Ryan, and Akeem Olajuwon. I think White would be the fourth, not just because of how great he was. But in a four-year period, he was the best pass rusher in history. And over a six-year period, he was just behind Reggie White. And not, you know, nobody else can make that claim. And people say, well, he had a lot of injuries. He's going to be healthy for eight full seasons of his 12. And I think because of everything he did off the field, and I've never seen an athlete want to spend as much time as Watt did. I asked him early in his career, why do you do so many things in the community? He said, well, I'm single. I don't want to go to bars and clubs, and I don't want to sit around watching Sports Center on my sofa every night. So I want to get out and do things, try to help people. And then when I get married, I'll sit on the sofa and watch Sports Center. And I thought, you know, that said a lot about him. That might have been in like 2012. And there's so many things that I know he's done in the community, a bunch he didn't want me to use when I asked him about it. At one point, Sean, it got where people would email me. I remember a firefighter one time said they had had some kind of problems. Maybe somebody got burned or their place 
got on fire something. He showed up unannounced with a bunch of food, hung out with him for a couple of hours, brought hmm. him a bunch of Texas stuff. And the guy, the firefighter thought I'd like to write about it. And I asked why, and he asked me not to. And I said, why? He said, because people think I told you. And I don't, it gets, right now it gets out. People think I'm the one releasing it and I'm not. He's And I've found out since then all these things that he did that and many others we still don't know about. When I found out Tuesday is he used to get up on Christmas morning and go to uh, Texas Children's Hospital with presents and meet kids and their parents and spend mm. spend time with them before he went on to do his own Christmas. And so I think because of that, plus the fact that he's uh, right up there. As, he, Let's see, Houston has in the Pro Football of Fame, outside linebacker Robert Brazil, nose tackle Curly Culp, defensive end uh, Elvin Bethay. They're all in the Pro Football of Fame. Waddle be in on the first ballot. And I covered those guys, and and I would have to say that Watt is the best defensive player I've ever covered. And uh, he's right up there with the greatest I've covered in 51 years, and that'd be Reggie White. Lawrence Taylor, Bruce Smith, Aaron Donald. And I think Watts right up there, right behind Reggie White and right with Lawrence Taylor. Reggie, to me, is the greatest I've ever seen. He was getting double-figure sacks when he was like 37 years old. Yeah. Well, and, and and yeah, durability was huge with Reggie White, no doubt about that. And, John, that's what I – you know, with J.J., I mean, there's so many things to dig into. But as far as the, the play on the field goes – um. Yeah, I mean, the the four seasons from 2012 through 2015 is going to be the crux of his Hall of Fame candidacy. And I know you've said he's going to go in on the first ballot. I think I'm just as impressed with his ability in 2018 to come back from all of those injuries that he'd had over that two-year period. You know, he he had the, the herniated discs in his back that he needed fixed. He had his injury that he suffered in the playoff game against Kansas city where he had to be helped off the field because he tore all the core muscles away from his pelvis. He had a broken hand that year in 2015. Um, not to mention just probably all the little dings and bumps that you get as a football player. And then the following year in 2016 or in 2017, um, after he had to leave the 2016 season because of the back, um, he, he had that tibial uh, plateau fracture where he missed the rest of that season. John, the fact that he came back in 2018 from all those injuries and was a first-team All-Pro once again is, is to me, just as impressive as the Defensive Player of the Year seasons that he'd had between 2012 and 2015. If I'm still alive and making his presentation, I won't bring up any injuries unless anybody else does, and I'll point out he played eight full seasons, mm -hmm. and there's a lot of guys in the Hall of Fame that didn't play eight full seasons, and I'll use that six period. Six years, his best six years of his career, he had 94.5 sacks, the only player in history with more, Reggie White with 99. And I told Watt now, I said, you need to get five in these last two games so you can pass Reggie White. Number three to them is Lawrence Taylor. 87 and a half, number four, Bruce Smith, 84, number five, Aaron Donald, 81, taking the best six years of their career. And of course, JJ was a great player, not just playing outside. People think of him as being an edge rusher. Well, he's 6'6 six, six and 290, and he played tackle a lot. He got double teamed, he got cut. I remember seeing him in the locker room a lot, and his legs would just be black where people had used their helmets to hit him in the legs, trying to block him low, and he would get hit high-low. A lot of times it was illegal. People got rid of it. And I'll never forget, Bengals were on hard knocks, and there was an offensive line meeting, and they were, they were not playing the Texans. They were playing somebody else, and Watt's name came up. And listening to the line coach and the assistant line coach and those players talking about Watt, was amazing, and they couldn't quit talking about him, even though he wasn't, wasn't that the team they were playing. And hmm. he got universal respect, and uh, I think a lot of it, most of it is because I wouldn't say that. I'd say a lot of it was because of his performance, but the things he did off the field are legendary, and he's been blessed. You know, how many defensive linemen get to host Saturday Night Live? Mm -hmm. How many defensive linemen host the CMAs? 
Yeah, he's he is taking advantage of his notoriety. He's been in five or six movies. A couple of times he said he he was offered parts, not playing himself, not playing a football player, but he couldn't do it because it would take up too much time of the offseason hmm. when he had to be working out. And uh so maybe he'll do that. He's too big to play, you know, a a romantic uh situation comedy or a love story, but he could certainly be a villain. A guy that big, would you like, if you were like a drug dealer and he had a guy behind him looking oh, like that, yeah, some muscle. I think you're going to do whatever he wanted. Muzzle. He could do that. Or he could be a bodyguard for a good guy in a comedy. There and I go. think we will see JJ in some movies. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Uh it's it's a remarkable career he's had John just to, as you point out like the the off the field stuff there's a couple great anecdotes that Mark Berman was able to get from Gary Kubiak that I just wanted to to read and these are probably ones that you've heard before too but I've got them in front of me cuz Berman tweeted them out yesterday um he said Gary Kubiak he talked to Kubiak Berman did and it was during the player interviews at the Combine in 2011 when he realized J.J. Watt could be special. Here's the quote. One of the first things I remember about J.J., I was like, whoa, this guy's going to be pretty good. We're in Indianapolis. We're interviewing him. And Bill Kolar, former defensive line coach, could be very, very hard on these guys that he's interviewing. And Bill's whole mentality was, I want to see how hard this guy plays and how much football means to him. So when Bill would interview these kids, Bill would attack them a little bit from the standpoint, I don't think you play hard. I've never seen a young man respond like JJ did in the interview. He got so red. He stood up for himself. He came back at Bill and said, I play hard all the time. You won't ever have to worry about me playing hard. It was a response like, I'm going to kick your ass, old man. <laughs> when he left the room that day, me, this is Kubiak talking, me and Wade Phillips and Bill are sitting there like, oh, my God, this old boy is going to be a hell of a player. We, he about kicked your ass, Bill, when he walked out of there, end quote. He and, he and Kolar became so close, he was devastated when Kolar went to Denver. Kubiak let him out of his contract. And Bill not only was a great player, but he was a tremendous defensive line coach. And it's so funny, the Texans didn't want him. They wanted Alden Smith. Wade wanted Alden Smith, third-year sophomore from uh, Missouri. And the 49ers traded ahead of the Texans because they thought Wade would be pushing for a pass rusher to get Alden Smith. And they kind of got stuck with J.J. Hmm. And uh, they said that Wade got up on the table with Rick Smith to push J.J., and it turned out to be good because even though Alden Smith was great early, he had a lot of drug and alcohol problems that curtailed his career big time. Yeah, it's hard to imagine this city and that team without J.J. Watt for the decade that he was here, no doubt about it. And that, John, that wound up being an incredible draft, the 2011 draft. They, I, I was looking at it a little bit earlier. I'm going to bring that draft up again when we do For Real or Fugazi in a little while. But it's incredible how many... I know the Pro Bowl is what it is, but it is an indicator of something. Um, like the first 20 players picked in that draft, there's only like four that didn't make it to a Pro Bowl at some point in their career. And there's a handful that are going to be Hall of Famers. I got one more from Berman. Jeez, these stories are so good. I just I want to read this second one here. Um, this is from Gary Kubiak via Mark Berman. Um, Kubiak recalls the powerful message Watt's dad, JJ's dad, shared with the Texans when the Watt family met with the team the day after J.J. was drafted. Quote, after J.J. shook everybody's hands and said, thanks for drafting me, we said, welcome to Houston, and all the cordial stuff, stuff in parentheses, that sounds like Kubiak might have cursed. Um, they started to walk out of the room, the whole family, and the dad kind of lingered in the back, like I'm going to be the last one out of the room. So the whole family had left the draft room, and his dad stops at the door. His dad's a very impressive man. I remember... JJ's dad said, hey, fellas, he's talking to about 30 guys in the room, Kubiak says. He says, thanks for seeing in my son what I've seen in him for the last 20 years. 
He will not let you down. And then he walked out of the room and I looked at everybody, Kubiak saying this, and I said, holy bleep, we got the right guy. That was powerful. <laughs> That's funny because he was a pizza delivery man who had a rack, ate up all the pizza he's supposed to be delivering, <laughs> was a two-star athlete coming out of high school, went yeah. to Central Michigan on a tight end. It's one of the all-time great success stories. I remember when he won one of those defensive player of the years, might've been the first one. I'm not sure. Somebody went to Wisconsin and found the guy that ran the pizza place that told Waddy never amount to anything. <laughs> Hold and up. The guy, guy was very gracious. The pizza guy told JJ he would never amount to anything. Uh, yeah. Because he had a wreck and he called his parents to come help him oh. and while he was waiting he ate all the pizzas he's supposed to be delivering. Oh, okay. Well, that's hardly a reason to say that the kid's going to be a loser in life. He got hungry. Doesn't amount to anything. Can't oh. even deliver pizzas. Dude, and that that particular pizza guy, not a good eye for talent. Not a good talent evaluator, John. <laughs> My favorite story of all the ones that I know about JJ, and I've got a lot of them on uh column that I wrote for Gallery Sports that's posted was the one where the little girl was crying and her mom asked her, why was she crying? And she said, cause I, I'll never be able to marry JJ Watt family were te Texans fans. And so the mom thought that was cute and got her phone and recorded it, put it on social media. And somehow it made his way to somebody close to JJ and he showed it to him. And it ended up with the family loading up the car and telling the kids they were going to NRG stadium to buy some tickets to a concert one afternoon. And so they're walking up and instead of going to the ticket office, they walk into the lobby and there's Watt with a Jersey and uh, a PR guy holding up his laptop. He clicks on, here comes the bride. Watt gets down on one knee, asks her to marry him, gives her the Jersey to wear picks her up, dances around the room, and the little girl's in shock, and the parents are sobbing. And I'm thinking, who does that? Yeah. You know, who takes the time to do something like that? And he did many things like that, where one time he showed up at a birthday party in a backyard for some teenager because somebody had gotten in touch with him and asked him, and I never forget, he came from back from Great Britain on a trip, and he put a lot of pictures out like he always did. And some kid from Ireland told him, sent a thing to the Texans. The mail got to him. It was a letter, not an email, and said, if you ever come back to Great Britain and you come to Ireland, here's my number. Come meet me and my parents. We'll cook a meal or have a pint. So the next year they went back and guess what? He showed up there. He met him. They showed him around Ireland. He flew the family over here. Uh, put them up so they could watch him and the Texans play. And I just like, I, who does those kind of things? Yeah, that's, yeah, J.J. Watt, that's who. Um, so, John, he's going to go in the Hall of Fame in 2028. Um, <laughs> I guess what, week one of next year for the Ring of Honor, as soon as possible if you're the Texans? <laughs> Better be the first game, I'm guessing. I'm probably, I'm guessing that, that uh, Greg Grissom, the Texans president, who oversees that side of the organization probably reached out to Watt or somebody close to Watt as soon as he saw that tweet to uh, get him back so they can put him in the ring of honor with Andre Johnson and Bob McNair. Mm. Now they play, I'm trying to think of the schedule here, John, they play the NFC North AFC North next year. And I believe they play Pittsburgh at NRG stadium. So how about that? How about, the Pittsburgh game. That's my prediction, John. J.J. Watt goes into the ring of honor for the Pittsburgh Steeler game, the team both his brothers play for. The NFL loves to do things that are special. And if somebody brings that up to the NFL, in fact, I'm going to bring it up to a guy in the NFL. They don't do the schedule for a while. But that would be a great way to open the season and make it a primetime game, put it on Amazon. They were on Amazon once this year. You, you can't wait till later because they might be bad, really bad again. It wouldn't be the same. Do it early. Do it the first game when there's going to be a buzz, hopefully with a franchise quarterback like Bryce Young, and you bring J.J. back in a game in which his brothers are on the opposite sideline. Yeah, it'd be amazing. And Great idea. 
Thank you, John. I appreciate that. Yeah. Like for those who don't know how that works, like, how do we know? We know 90% of the schedule in terms of who a team plays. That's, we know that in perpetuity for as long as they stay at 32 teams, we know who most of the opponents are going to be and where they're going to play every year. It's just the variable games that need to be slotted two or three of those. And then the schedule obviously gets made in, in May, the actual, like the, the win of each of the games, but we already know that the Texans in 2023 play the AFC North. And how do we know it's at NRG stadium? Well, cause when the two, when the divisions crossed over last time was the COVID year and the Texans played up at what was then Heinz field. I forget what it is now, but uh, yeah, get, John, give them that idea. You don't even need to footnote it and give me credit for it. You can have that. I want you to have that John. Or, or they could have them play, you know, there's that extra NFC team, have them play Green Bay since he's from Wisconsin. Okay. That is slotted too, though. That is based on, uh, I don't want to bore the audience too much. It's based on the NFC division you crossed over with two years ago, the team that corresponds with your spot in the standings. Like That's why the Texans played Chicago this well, year. Well, that ain't happening, man. Never no. mind. Well, not, yeah, well, yeah, no, probably. Probably not. Not not the, yeah. Now that the Packers are winning again, probably not. <laughs> probably not. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Um, all right, let's get into it, John. So that's uh, that's a, a wrap on J.J. Watt. He'll come up again a little later on in the show, for real or fugazi. Um, but let's get to this uh, Jacksonville game. Um, we'll, we'll bang this out quick. This is a game that Jacksonville doesn't need to win. If they just win in Week 18 against the Tennessee Titans, they will be the champs of the AFC South, and they'll be the fourth seed in the um, in the conference. So I guess really all this is the, all that's at stake for the Jags on Sunday, on New Year's Day, is maintaining the momentum they've generated, right? Doug Peterson says he's going to play everybody because he wants to keep that momentum going. They've won five of seven. They've won three in a row. During that stretch, Trevor Lawrence has 14 touchdowns and one interception. And in the same reason, the Titans, they're not going to rest Derrick Henry. They're trying to break a losing streak. They don't want to lose another one by just giving up on it. And against the Cowboys, they're going to lose anyway. But uh, I just think it's very interesting that both of them are going to do everything they can to win their game, even though it means nothing in the whole scheme of things. Texans, of course, would like to beat Jaguars 10 in a row. And I'm guessing mm -hmm. Jaguars – are tired of saying they get swept by the Texans every year. Yep, every year since 2017 when the Jags made it to the AFC title game. Um, as far as what these games mean for the Texans' draft capital, if they do lose to the Jags and the Bears are able to pull off what would be a mild upset against the Lions, uh, the Texans will have the number one. We won't need to worry about what happens in Week 18. The Texans will clinch the number one overall pick in the draft. I think that would be great. I think it'd be great for the Texans to win out and get the first overall pick. That's going to be and tough. <laughs> that would be tough, but that would be a perfect scenario. Um, I'm for getting that top pick. I don't. It's, it's easy for us to say Lovey Smith's job's on the line. I think if they went out, plus they looked good in the last two, and they did it with the injuries, maybe he comes back as me if they don't clean house on, and bring in a new coaching staff. And uh, uh, and then, of course, have the franchise quarterback, and people get really fired up. But the fact is they've been playing harder and they played better, and I'm surprised because they've got so many injuries and they're not – nobody – No, the quarterbacks are not consistent. You know, I'm tired of Jeff Driscoll. I'm ready to go with Davis Mills to, to, to the whole game. And yeah. At the end of that last game when he had two scoring drives – he played every play. They didn't bring in Jeff Driscoll. So enough of that, but I'm afraid Pep Hamilton's going to keep doing it. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's 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 rapid fire a few uh, things to watch for the game on Sunday, John. Go ahead. You go first. To see if Davis Mills can play an entire game the way he played the last two scoring series against uh, uh, the Titans when he was, I think, 9 of 9 for 112 yards and uh, 
He's got to quit running with a ball and holding it out in front of him like Jeez. a loaf of bread. My God. It's pretty obvious he doesn't have a lot of experience running. He got lucky in the last game when Rex Burkhead made the best play of his career with the Texans and fell on the fell on the football for a touchdown. But I I would like to see Mills be consistent for the first time since the end of last season because he was terrible in the third quarter. I was ready to bring back Kyle Allen, and then all of a sudden, the two series where they leave it, lay, leave him in, he goes down and puts uh, ten points on the board. Yep, sure did. Um, no, that's uh, I, it's interesting, John. You know, like a month ago, everybody was getting fired. Lovey's getting fired. Pep's getting fired. Davis Mills is not the guy, and they're going to have the first overall pick. Like now, all of a sudden, over these last few games, like. Other than Pep, who I think is going to be gone, like I, I that can't be salvaged. Yeah, and Mills isn't going to be the starting quarterback. Yeah, and I don't think so either. I, I don't think so either. I I think it's got a higher probability than Pep coming back. The other two are all of a sudden super interesting. The Lovey Smith story and the first overall pick are all of a sudden kind of thrown up into the air, and they're 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 really inextricably linked, you know. And and if you if they win games. Lovey could be back, and they're not picking first. If they lose these games, they're they're picking first for sure. These last two games, and then maybe Lovey goes. So, I if you're a Texan fan who just has a hard time rooting against your team, this is a very conflicting couple of weeks coming up. I would imagine. Well, if you're uh, to me, I want him to get the first pick. I did a deep dive on Bryce Young, who I've seen almost every game he's played. Mm-hmm. We'll watch him play the last game on Saturday, hoping he doesn't get hurt and have that decision backfire on him, as well as. Will Anderson uh, Jr., uh, the best edge rusher in the draft. But um, people that I respect, like Daniel Jeremiah of NFL Network, we had Ross Tucker on with us. Ross, it was obvious he's watched a lot. And something that Ross said is because he's smaller, he said, but he can play in the pocket. He's fearless. He never takes a direct shot. But you have to have a coach that knows how to coach a quarterback like that who can't just stand in the pocket. It's got to be able to slide left or right and throw between the tackles, throw on the run. You don't want somebody that's going to say, okay, he's going to be a pocket passer. So uh, if they bring back Lovey, it's going to be hard to get an offensive coordinator, play caller like that, knowing there's a chance he could get fired after a year. You'd have to give him probably a five-year contract for a couple of million a year. But uh, I, I think when all said and done, I don't think they're going to win these last two, and I think Lovey's going to get fired. Yeah, I think Colts game is scaring me a little bit, John. Nick Foles is awful. He's terrible. So well, well, he hadn't played in a long time, yeah. too. Maybe by the time he plays against then, he got back into the scheme of things. You know, as Deshaun Watson's showing, when you don't play – for a long time. It's hard. It is. Yep. Uh, all right, John, my first one here. We'll rapid fire these six packs. We don't need to dig too deep on all these. Oba Okoronkwo has been really, really good over the last several weeks, and he was great in the game against the Titans. Johnny had five tackles in the game. Three of them were sacks. No, two of them were sacks, and three of them were TFLs. So if Oba Okoronkwo was hitting a Tennessee Titan, that play was going backwards in that game. Um, he's been really good. Houston native. Um, as we start to kind of take a look at the roster of, okay, who are some of the guys that we're hoping that the the team decides to keep around? Um, Okoronkwo is a guy I'd like to see come back with this team in, in uh, 2023. He's, he's kind of short thing. He's gotten, he was really bad with his run fits early in the season. He's gotten, he's improved there and he, he's getting a ton of snaps and he deserves it right now. He started the last six games, one of them against the Dolphins. He got goose eggs across the board, but in those five games, the other five starts, he has 30, 20 tackles, 13 unassisted, four sacks, seven hits on the quarterback, five tackles for loss, and he signed a one-year deal. And you know Nick Casario would like to bring him back. Um, one of the things that's very interesting, you know, they have done everything they can for the last two years to get players who play a 4-3. Mm-hmm. That's not important in the secondary, but it's very important in the defensive line at linebacker. So if they were to bring in a coach who installed a 3-4, Ogbo would be an outside linebacker. He's certainly the size of an outside linebacker. He's lighter for most outside linebackers in a 3-4, but they have to bring him back. Jacques is there. The defensive line coach has done a good job coaching him, and he's somebody we're seeing making progress and need to see more of those. Yep. 
All right, who's your next one, John? Uh, Kaimi Fairbairn. Mm. You know, most of their games are close. He has 27 of 29 field goals. He has not missed an extra point. Usually he misses two or three extra points. He's kicked 17 field goals in a row. He has 102 points. He's one of three kickers who have made five field goals from 50-plus. He has only one miss inside the 40. And his kickoffs, he's got 15 touchbacks. I think he is having a tremendous season. And they don't score a lot of touchdowns for him, but he has been really good placing the ball on kickoff returns. They are number one in the average starting position for opponents. And they're number one by a long shot. And I think special teams, which we both grade high every week, Mm -hmm. need to get that kind of recognition. The opponent's starting yard line is the 22.1. Next closest, 24. So we know Frank Ross has done wow. a great job. But Kaimi Fairbairn, he and the coverage team and the protection team, led by the greatest snapper in history in John Weeks, they right. have done a tremendous job. Yeah, no, Kaimi's been really good this year. I was down on Kaimi mostly because I thought he was overpaid. Um, and he was for the last couple of years. He hadn't been as good. But he's been a he's definitely been a bright spot. Um, all right, John, my second one is uh, Malik Collins. Uh, who's been great since coming back in week 10 in that game against the Giants. He's got two and a half sacks. He's got a handful of TFLs. He's got, over the past five games since the Miami game, he was he was the, one of the few bright spots in that Miami game. He's got seven TFLs in the last five games. He's had, he got a bunch of QB hits. Um, more than anything else, when he's hitting, he's hitting hard. You know, he's he's been physical, and I think this defense overall – has been a much more physical defense over the last month or so. They've, they've really been doing some some hitting out there, um, some of it generating some fines for some of our favorite players like Jalen Petrie. But um, but I think they've been tone setters on that side. They haven't been great against the run. They still gave up a buck 20-something to Derrick Henry last week. He averaged five and a half yards a carry. But they've been better, and Malik Collins is a guy who he, he will be back next year. He signed a two-year deal to stay here this past offseason. So, um against uh against the Jags this weekend and you know we'll see how they run the ball with Travis Etienne um but uh Malik Collins is one to watch for me he's one of those guys those veteran guys I feel I feel like I feel Nick's Nick's had some misses but he's had some hits and I feel like Malik Collins and Okoronkwo have both been hits for Nick Casario um there's a great story on pro football talk written by Shereen Williams and I'm gonna go through this fast uh Shereen Williams had a friend in California who met a woman from Houston who moved out there to go to school who had a son and they didn't have any other family members. And so the woman asked people in her neighborhood if they could send Christmas cards to her son. That's all he wanted. He's 16. So Shereen asked several teams, including the Texans and some of her friends like me, would we send Christmas cards? And we did to the son. And so, uh, Everett Gearlings, the uh, one of the PR guys, was down getting a thing signed by the players, and Malik said, "What's this about?" And he told him. He said, uh, "It's about, I don't know who it is. It's uh, Shane Williams, Pro Football Talk asked me to get some stuff signed for a uh, teenager in California doesn't have family members or friends, and he's a Tex. Turns out they're Texans fans, and they wanted Christmas cards. To make a long story short." Uh, Malik did a FaceTime, a surprise FaceTime Hmm. with the mother and the son when he got to Nashville and invited them to come to Houston for the Jacksonville game. He Hmm. would take care of everything and he would take them on the sideline and he would take them out and they just started balling. They couldn't Hmm. believe it. So hats off to Malik Collins for a unbelievable gesture for this mom and her son Texans fans from Houston who hope when she gets through a school out there to move back here and I just what a first class thing for him to do it shows something about Malik Collins the tough guy on the field that we from football yeah no that's a, I'm glad you shared that story John that's a really really cool really really cool story makes me uh makes me want to root even more for uh for Malik Collins all right what's my your last other one my yeah. last one is this The rookies on defense, Mm -hmm. the Texans uh, rookies 
this season have played the second most snaps in the league to the bears hmm. and uh two that's worst just teams the, <laughs> that's just the defensive rookies yep and they have the defensive rookie six interceptions led by petrie they're second to seattle among their rookies and uh this was strange to me against the chiefs Christian Harris had 14 tackles and Jalen Petrie had 13. So mm. there's two rookies with 27 tackles. No other two rookies for any team have come close to that since 2009. And uh, so there's a lot of good things that the rookies are doing led by Petrie. Petrie's going to end up second in tackles to, uh, behind D'Amico Ryans. Petrie has 126 for rookies. D'Amico had 156. Brian Cushing had 133. He'll pass him this week. And I'm uh, thinking if Petrie made tackles he missed, he might be closing in on D'Amico. And uh, he's the only player in the NFL who's in the top 15 in tackles and interceptions. So despite missing those, tackles that he was doing midway through the season. He has bounced back since that move to free safety and become a huge weapon. And uh, uh, he's got a chance to be the best safety in NFL history, just like John Weeks is the best. <laughs> he does have that chance, John. That is true. Um, all right. My last one is the Texans offensive line. Um, just what's it going to look like this week? It was a triage unit at the end of that game against Tennessee. They were down to their fourth left guard. You know, and you obviously Kenyon Green out, although it sounds like Kenyon Green could be back this week, according to Lovey Smith. The injury report that'll come out today, we're recording this on Wednesday to drop on Thursday, will be very telling. Um, if Kenyon Green, you know, what's his status? You know, hopefully he's maybe limited or full, obviously, hopefully he's full go because I think it's important that he get as many reps as he possibly can. Um, but what's it look like? A Titus Howard was in concussion protocol when we last saw him. Uh, Jimmy Morrissey followed him into concussion protocol. They were down to Justin McCray, their fourth option at left guard, who himself was playing kind of banged up in that game. So what's it look like? Is Charlie Heck going to get another start at right tackle? Um, does Laramie Tunsil continue to perform at a Pro Bowl level? The offensive line has done a really, really good job in pass protection over the last month or so. So what's that going to look like based on all the injuries that we're seeing right now along the offensive line. The offensive line has not given up a sack in four consecutive games. They had two shutouts against Cleveland and Miles Garrett and Dallas and Micah Parsons. They gave up one when Driscoll ran out of bounds instead of throwing it away. Mm -hmm. And then they gave up one in the last game when Mills held the ball so long he could eat a sandwich. That was on him. <laughs> so the team has given up two in four games. The linemen haven't given up zero. And I'm thinking next year, when you got left tackle Laramie Tunsil, who's been great in pass protection, and right tackle Titus Howard, both playing for contracts, you're going to get the very best out of them. And, and I think Kenyon Green will be a lot better. in the When we had Ross Tucker on, he's a former offensive tackle, we talked to him extensively about Kenyon Green mm -hmm. and what basically most linemen have to do between their first and second seasons. And he said not only continue to work on techniques, but they got to get stronger. And he's been susceptible to the bull rush, as we saw Jonathan Allen humiliate him against Washington. And so that's the kind of thing in offseason, you work your tail off in the weight room, you can come back stronger and be a whole lot more confident. And he's a hard worker. He'll continue to work on the technique. So I expect he'll be worth the pick 15th that they gave for him. And, but they still, what they need first and foremost is a center. And I think that would be someone that Nick Casario will spend free agent money on. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I'm, I'm all for him using that cap space to fix the, the trenches on both sides, but particularly the, in, the interior of the offensive line to, uh, to put around Kenyon green there. Um, all right. Um, so that's our pregame six-pack. John, uh, before we get into a few for real or fugazis, what's your prediction on the game? I predict the Jaguars will come in here and break the winning streak. Uh, let's see, 20 to 17. Okay, yeah, I was, I'm was. i at 23-20 Jags, too. So Spread's uh, four, right? Spread is four, yes. Yes, it is four. So – both of these games are going to be uh, – I can't wait to see what the spread is going to be on that Colts game. The Colts are a really, really bad football team right now. Really bad. Um, if starting with here, Texas might be favored. 
Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, no, they may very well be. Absolutely. Hell, if the Titans game were here, they would have been favored. They were only three-point underdogs up in Tennessee. <laughs> oh. Right? <laughs> yeah. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, uh, let's do a few for real or fugazis for those who are new to the podcast and are unfamiliar with this segment. I rapid fire a few statements that I read very confidently to John as if they are the truth. If they are the truth, in the opinion of one John McClain, he says for real. If he believes that the statement is complete BS, he says fugazi. Fugazi, yes. Fugazi being Italian for counterfeit. All right. John, with all the head injuries, it's time. The Dolphins got to move on from Tua Tungavailoa. For real or Fugazi? Fugazi. Tua was playing too well between concussions. They need to monitor him uh, closely. Uh, he was playing great. and uh, But he's been hurt every year he's been in football, going back to when we first saw him in Alabama. So if you have Tua Tungavailoa, on your team, you just know he's going to get hurt. And they got a proven backup in Teddy Bridgewater. Bridgewater's going to start Sunday at New England. And so, uh, but you certainly couldn't give up on him and have to get out there and get another one, especially when you've invested in wide receivers as much as they have. That is going to be a very interesting conversation in the offseason in Miami about Tua's future because his two draft classmates, Joe Burrow and, and Justin Herbert, are probably, I'm guessing, they're getting contract extensions. You know, they'll be done with their third year. They'll be eligible for them. They've both performed at a level that would justify that. Tua has not performed at a level that justifies that over the aggregate. But to your point, he's been better this year, although they are eight and seven now. They're they're closer to slipping out of the playoffs than they are to making noise in the playoffs, the Dolphins. I saw a great uh, video and a graphic because they didn't know when he got hurt, but it showed him hit his head. Uh, when he was being tackled. Yep. And so they showed his stats before that play, which were really good, mm -hmm. and after that play, which were really bad. That happened at Baylor, uh, bowl game Baylor had. I wasn't paying attention other than I was mad at the quarterback, Blake Shapin, and a guy put out before he hit his head. Mm -hmm. This was his stats, and this was afterward. And that was two documented uh, things I've seen in two games in which you couldn't argue with it. And uh, you hope two is able to come back in the last game or in the playoffs because they're fun to watch when he's healthy, completing the ball down the field. They just don't have a running game. No, they are. They, you're you're right about that. Uh, they are. They're fun to watch. Those receivers are great. Uh, Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle are a whole lot of fun. All right, next one, John, for real or Fugazi. Russell Wilson can't be fixed. Fugazi. I'm thinking that somebody, a good coach, if he were playing with Kyle Shanahan, would he be playing this bad? If he were playing with Sean McVay, would he be pathetic? No. I think we saw him come to Houston last season, coming off, I think, thumb surgery, and he looked good, and the Seahawks won decisively, and he ended up with like – 23 touchdowns, six or seven interceptions. I just think that Nathaniel Hackett tried to make him do what Aaron Rodgers had done in Green Bay, and Hackett was a terrible coach. And I think if they get a good coach, like say Sean Payton thinks he could fix him, uh, I think that uh, he will. He may not be great. They think that he doesn't trust his legs anymore mm -hmm. to move around and find guys streaking across the field. But, you know, there's a way you can fix that. But, no, I think he wants to play into his 40s. He's got a long way to go and a lot of time to get fixed. Yep, no doubt. And he's getting a lot of money <laughs> to get fixed, ooh, for sure. Ooh. Uh, hey, I'll tell you something very strange to me. Yep. The CEO and one of the owners, Greg Penner, says that he's going to rely heavily on George Payton, the GM. 
Now, George Payton didn't get fired, and he says he's not going to get fired, but he's the one who engineered the trade with Seattle. He's the one that gave him the new contract. You'd think he's the one that get fired. When he was at Minnesota, he was a very respected personnel guy who had two or three interviews for GM. So then the CEO says that the new coach will answer to him, yeah. not to the general manager, George Payton. Now, a lot of t coaches like Sean Payton have total control over personnel and the general manager oversees everything else and works like a, a personnel director. But when you say he only answers to me, you're just looking for trouble between your coach and GM because then the coach is going to run to the owner every time he wants something because he can't get it from the GM. Yeah. If they do that, it's a recipe for disaster unless somebody like Sean Payton says, well, I want this in my contract and I want it written this way. They're just cruising for another bruising. Yep, I agree with you. I thought I saw that story yesterday, and I thought that was nuts. All right, John, next one, for real or Fugazi, in a redraft of 2011, and I will read some names to you to back this up, as, although I'm sure you know these. In a redraft of 2011, J.J. Watt goes first overall. Absolutely. Gam Dugan went first overall. He was an MVP, went to the Super Bowl, had one incredible 15 in one year. But Watt and Von Miller was a great pick. Those mm -hmm. guys are going to the Hall of Fame. Nobody dominated for a period like Watt did. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was a tremendous draft. But I think without a doubt, J.J. would be the first overall pick. 16, I, I, I kind of threw some numbers out there earlier about how many pro bowlers there were in this class. And some of them wound up being Fugazi, you know, like Alden Smith for a variety of reasons. You know, Marcel Darius is not going to be confused with uh, with Aaron Donald anytime soon, but he did make a Pro Bowl. 16 of the top 16 players taken in this draft, John, the only ones to not make a Pro Bowl were the three non-Newton quarterbacks that were taken in this draft. Jake Locker, Blaine Gabbert, Christian Ponder. Those last two were picked before and after one Justin James Watt. Jake, Jake Locker was such a wasted pick by the Titans. I don't feel sorry for Christian Ponder because he's married to Samantha. Um, Steele. Yeah. Well, now yeah. Samantha Ponder. Yeah. Yeah. Samantha Ponder from uh, ESPN's pregame show. And then uh, who was the third one? Blaine Gabbert. Blaine Gabbert's still playing. Yep. He's had a long career. He's made a lot of money. He's going to get a great pension. So looking back, you would have to say that Blaine Gabbert was the best of those quarterbacks by far, even though he was not very good. Of those three, but again, Newton was the first overall pick in that draft. So, yeah. But of those three, yeah, Gabbert wound up being – yeah, Ponder was out of the league within a couple of years. So was Locker. I remember, John, I remember the Tennessee game, one of the Tennessee games in, in 2011 or 2012. I forget which. Um, but it was in NRG Stadium, Texans versus the Titans. And Jake Locker got knocked out of the game. He was a starting quarterback. And I, the, the general reaction was, well, crap. I mean, it was nice to sack him, but you don't have to knock him out of the game. Now Matt Hasselback comes in and the game all of a sudden is super close the rest of the day. He had concussion issues and he retired. He, he lives in Washington mm -hmm. and he was married and had a kid. And here's here's my Jake Locker story. Okay, I do a lot of charity things. Nashville and uh I asked the Titans GM and coach to come and at the time uh the coach was Ken Wisenhunt and Rustin West Rust uh, Rustin Webster was the GM. Well one of them, I think the PR guy asked Locker to come. So we were upstairs at the Hard Rock Cafe, and the charity was for Duchenne muscular dystrophy that only affects little boys. And if you get it, you're going to die. There's no cure. And there was a family there that introduced themselves to me, had two little boys, and they had started a foundation. So I did a charity deal with them and the Titans coach at GM for like seven years till the pandemic. And Jake Locker was there. And, he, and I interviewed him for the fans, and I found out from a family that he had written them like a $2,500 check for their foundation before he left. Didn't tell anybody. Nobody ever found out about it. And so I thought, wow, I'm a Jake Locker fan for life. Yeah, that's a great story. That That's no doubt. That's really, really cool. Not a great quarterback, but that is a great no. story. Yeah, he, he had serious accuracy issues, but – 
John, this class, this draft class is amazing. I like how I'm looking at this. You are part of the Hall of Fame selection committee. I'm just going to rapid fire these and just tell me yes or no. Gut feeling. Cam Newton. No. I say no. Uh, Von Miller. Yes. A.J. Green. No. Patrick Peterson. Yes. Julio Jones. Boy, there'll be a lot of argument about him, but late in his career, he's really struggled with injuries. I'd have to say he's borderline. Okay. Had he stopped like three years ago and finished his career, he'd have been in for sure. But when you keep playing and you're not very good, for whatever reason, I think it hurts your candidacy. That's I, I was going to say that earlier, John, when you were like, you know, J.J. had injuries and that's going to get brought up against him. And my feeling was if he had just retired after his third defensive player of the year, he probably goes into the Hall of Fame also on the first well, ballot. He's also going to have eight full seasons. Yeah. Of playing full 16 games. And one of the things I'll look up mm-hmm. in case somebody brings that up is how many defensive ends have played eight full seasons. Yeah, no, that's fair. Out uh, of t- 12, because some guys played 15 years. Yep. But if anybody played 12, how many of them made eight? Tyron Smith. Uh, No, he's been hurt too much. Okay. Richard Sherman. Boy, Sherman has got a good chance because he played two Super Bowls, one one. He was the team leader. Very outspoken. He's always in the consciousness. I'm going to say he's borderline. Yeah, I, he to me, he was the best cornerback in football, or at least an argument for it, for about a three- or four-year period. That's usually that's usually good for me. I'm just kind of thumbing down the the, the list here of guys. I mean, you're start, I'm starting to get in deep into the weeds here. But those so, – so you think probably – sounds like probably three or four Hall of Famers out of that class. And could be a couple more. Could and, be. Uh, but it was a hell of a draft. It was. Not the 74 Steelers who drafted <laughs> uh, four, four Hall of Famers and signed free agent fifth Hall of Famer yeah, no, in one it, draft. In one draft for one team. That's incredible. Um, all right, a couple more, John. For real or Fugazi, Ed Reed is the next Deion Sanders at the head coaching position in college football. Fugazi, Ed Reed was a great player. And and I remember when he was here in 2011, Rick Smith brought him in at the expense of uh, Glover Quinn. Yeah, 13, 2013. To, yep. Went to the Pro Bowl with the uh, Lions. Yep. And he was nothing but trouble for Wade Phillips, telling players what to do and all that. Now, maybe that means he'll be a great, great uh, player. He was coming off uh, hip surgery. Where Dion, when I used to have scouts that would go to the Florida State's practices and talk about how hard he worked, he'd go through a drill, then he would cut the line to do it again quicker, and he just keep wanting to do it over and over and over, and they tell him, hey, Dion, you got to let some of these other guys do it. But I'm still surprised he's been as good as he's been, and lightning striking twice with, with those guys, maybe, but I'm going to say he's not the next Dion. No, for those who don't know, he just got offered the job at Bethune Cookman. So, uh, and agreed to in principle to a deal. So, Ed Reed is going to be a college head coach. I'm just so jaded by his one season here, John. Like, I, you know, I hear all he's obviously a great player. I know that Hall of Fame level player. I'm just so jaded by his whole act when he was here. You know, just he got surgery two months after signing the deal. He didn't tell the Texans about it. Yeah. Just I thought, like, I thought he was a horrible football citizen in his one year here. And so when I listened this morning, like I listened to Damon Amanda Lara this morning before our show on CBS sports radio, and he's talking about how Ed Reed is this bastion of football. Like, Oh, if, if I needed a babysitter, like on a pinch, I would call Ed (laughs) Reed. Like he literally said that. I'm like, are you kidding me? This guy got 50 grand stolen out of the front of his car. Uh, You'd want him watching your kids. He couldn't even watch his own money. (laughs) So um, I felt like calling Damon when he was saying those things, but I had a show to get ready for. All right. Last one, John. Carlos Correa related Um, because of the doctors for the New York Mets finding issue with Carlos Correa's surgically repaired right leg. The San Francisco giants are off the hook. I think the giants are off the hook and it shows that they didn't do it just because they got cold feet on so much money. And even though the agent Scott Boris is leaking that three other teams are interested. I don't think Steve Cohen, the owner of the Mets who doesn't care about hundreds of millions of dollars is going to let him get away. Yeah, I don't think so either. 
Um, all right. So, John, that was for real or Fugazi. Uh, what do you got going on on your uh, various platforms? On uh, Gallery Sports, I have a column on J.J. White, not so much about the numbers, although I do have some numbers, but most just my favorite stories of what away from football. And then uh, I've got uh, on SportsRadio610.com, it starts with White, and then I get into like you and I just talked about Ogbo, Karanquo, and some of the players who are playing well right now and so the, how, how – People should be confident and look forward to next season with all these rookies on defense. All right, good stuff. Gallerysports.com, sportsradio610.com. Uh, John, I enjoyed it as always. I look forward to uh, seeing you out at the stadium on Sunday on New Year's Day for a little Jags-Texans action. I look forward to it. It's interesting. It's funny how these games at the end of the year, we're talking about them and there's interest in them because a month ago, it looked like they were just going to get steamrolled on their way to the first pick, but at least they're fun again. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So for the uh, general John McClain, for Figgy Fig, getting this podcast out to all you guys on a timely basis, we appreciate his, uh, his efforts as well. Uh, and we appreciate all of you for downloading, subscribing, sharing it with a friend, giving us a five-star review if you think we are deserving of such. Um, so, uh, yeah, keep downloading. Even when the season's over, we're going to keep banging out these Utopia football podcasts because draft season and the offseason will, be, will be upon us before we know it. For John McClain, I'm Sean Pendergast. We are out of time. Enjoy the game on Sunday, everybody. We'll be back next week with more episodes of the Utopia football podcast. Happy New Year. Happy New Year.